Glad you're here this morning. I want to begin by acknowledging that um, the topic this morning makes me a little um, uneasy because I'm going to talk about money and pastors and churches and money. Um, a lot of you come with a variety of different backgrounds. Um, I'm doing it because we're going through the book of James. So whatever comes up next, that's what I preach on. That's my motivation in bringing it up this morning. But I do realize that some of your backgrounds may have issues with money and churches and pastors and money. And I also realize there may be money conflicts within your marriage, money conflicts with your children. And today's sermon is not going to fix all of that, but perhaps getting us into God's word as we understand what he wants us to do with our lives and leverage our money for the kingdom of God. Um, so let's just go to the Lord and begin with prayer. Father, as we focus on you and your word this morning, may we be moved to change our hearts and behavior in regards to how we steward your money. May we not resist your word, but let the word work. May we let your word work in our hearts so that we leverage our resources for an eternal kingdom impact and live a life with no regrets. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The way you use your money often shows what you value. The way you use your money and what you spend it on often reveals your heart. When I was 16, the first job I had is I worked for Arby's. Anybody ever work for Arby's? Okay, nobody. <laughs> I looked really cool in my brown polyester pants and Arby's shirt and hat. Uh, over the holiday break when I was 16, I worked extra hard uh, and I put in extra hours over the holidays because I wanted to buy some extra bass for the back of my car. Does that mean anything to anybody? A few of you. All right, we can talk later. Uh, back in the 80s, um, well, anyway, that's why, I, that's why I can't hear very good. Back in the 80s, we put these big woofers in the back of our, our car. I'm not sure why we did that, but I worked really hard over uh, the break um, to earn extra money to, to get bass, and that's all I could think about when I was working. I was scooping the fries, thinking about bass. I was pouring drinks, thinking about bass. And I was putting bass in the back of my 1982 Oldsmobile. Uh, the Oldsmobile was actually 1982, but it was called a 98 Oldsmobile. Do you know what that is? Huge car. I was rolling. Uh, it was huge, right? So I put the, the big bass in there, and I, I spent money to, to do that and pull that off. And, and I was, I'm wondering, where is that car now? Probably in a big junk pile, junkyard somewhere. And I can look back in my time, and I, and I think... I, that was such wastefulness of youth. I just blew all the money on that. Why, why did I do that? That's such a waste. And yet, as we grow older, our spending still shows what we value. And, and if you could be honest with your life, a, a lot of your spending and my spending is just as trivial as the base in the back of my 82 Oldsmobile 
that it's in some junk pile. And what we want to start to have happen in our lives is kind of pull back and go, why, why are we doing this trivial stuff when, when what we really want to have is we want to have a, a, a certain focus and a certain goal that's, that's eternal. And this is kind of what I want to give you this morning, this focus, this goal to have before you where you can start to leverage your money for an eternal kingdom impact, where you can leverage your money for an eternal kingdom impact. And as I said before, we're back in the book of James. So if you want to turn to James, we're in James 5. We'll go back to Christmas messages next week, but right now we're in the book of James. And as we come to James 5, we begin the chapter as it shows the management of money that leaves out God and the blessing of others. This first portion of James 5 is showing you the management of money that, that is leaving out God and the blessing of others. And what we want to do is have that flipped where we are managing our money in a way that includes God and blesses others. James begins this chapter by addressing, get this, let me sure you understand the context here. He's addressing rich unbelievers who are oppressing those in the church who are poor. It's not that the, the, the rich landowners that he's addressing are actually hearing his message, but it's almost like a prophetic message where he is reinforcing the reality of judgment that is coming upon these rich landowners in such a way that it's going to encourage the church to endurance and patience. So the rich landowners are not even hearing this condemnation that that James is giving. He's giving this condemnation to comfort the church so that that most of them are poor, so they will persevere in their faith. So the point of the passage is really not the passage we're looking at today. It's it's, it's one we're looking at, well, several weeks from now as we jump into verse 7. But today we're just going to contain ourselves to the first six verses as James is encouraging the church to persevere by addressing the rich landowners who are not even hearing this message. That makes any sense at all? I hope so. Let's jump in. Verse 1. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Judgment is coming upon these rich oppressors who have stored up earthly treasure in the midst of impending judgment. Not only will they lose all of their riches, but their hoarding will be evidence against them at the judgment where they will face the fires of hell. Not only do they hoard riches, but they oppress their workers. Look at verse 4. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. These are wealthy landowners who have kept back a fair day's wage to their harvesters. 
The goal was to pay their employees well. Like if you are an owner of a business, you want to pay your employees with a fair wage, uh, treat them with integrity, with respect, as they are created in the image of God. These wealthy landowners were not doing that. Instead, they were holding back a day's wage in a, in a very inappropriate way. In fact, the, the, the employee, the poor employee, didn't even resist them, and yet they were dragging some of them into court and even having some of them killed. And a lot of these poor people that were being oppressed were in the church, and they were to know this, that God hears The cries of the harvesters who have been treated unjustly while the rich live on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. So he wants the church to know that this great reversal is going to happen where the rich oppressors will be judged and the oppressed believers will be vindicated. And until that day comes, there must be a wealth of patience in the face of suffering. That's the gist of the text here. And the main point's going to be when we move on to verse 7 and a few weeks from now. It's a dark picture of those who have wealth but fail to use it for the glory of God and the good of others. They actually used it for their own glory and the harm of others. Once again, he is addressing unbelievers. That's the gist of the text. But keep this in mind. The believers in James are hearing this message. And yes, they are being oppressed. But some of them are not quite getting it either. Because when we come to James 2 several weeks ago when everybody was sitting on stage, remember that, we were doing that thing, this division? The reason why we, 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 we saw that is because the church was showing partiality to the rich. And they were oppressing the poor. So even the church in their hearts were starting to value those who had money and were distancing themselves from those who did not have money. They weren't watching their own lives as they were kind of getting caught in the trap of the rich oppressors. They weren't keeping their hearts in check. And and that's kind of where I want to go with the rest of our time today. Because it's easy to say, okay, we're not rich. We're struggling with money. We don't have as much as everybody else has. But let's just, let's just be totally honest. I don't need to give you statistics or anything like that. Most of you have more money at your disposal than most people in the world. Can we just be honest with that? Where you live, I understand some of you, that might not be the case, but most of you have more money at your disposal than most of the people in this world. That's, that's just the reality. And even in those of you who are in school, you're like, man, I'm in school. I don't, I don't have a, a penny to my name. I'm in school. I understand that. But chances are you go to a really good school and it's cost a lot of money now, but you're going you're gonna to get this huge return on your investment later. And so even you are going to have to think through what you're doing with your money. And as you pull back and we examine our hearts this morning, I want us to ask one question. How can you leverage your money for an eternal kingdom impact? Those of you who are parents and you have children, you want to teach them at a young age how they can leverage the money that they have at a young age and as they grow old, that they can have eternal kingdom impact. And you want to model that for them. Your kids see how you spend money. They know if you're storing up treasures in heaven or not. They know what's going on in your heart because they see. 
And the chances are your kids want you to spend more money on them than on other things, right? And so you've got to even deal with their heart as you deal with your heart. Uh, so let's, let's just consi- consider this question. How can you leverage your money for an eternal kingdom impact when you are m- probably more wealthier than most people in the world? So we're going to bop around some different verses here, and we're going to come back and touch on a little bit of this oppression in James on how we can see even some of the things that we can do can oppress others. But, but let's, just, um, let, let's just bop around with me, if you don't mind. I'm going to start with 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. I'll actually put this up for you. This is a passage that's talking and addressing the, the rich, which I'm trying to argue that most of you are rich compared to the rest of the world. Look what Paul tells Timothy to exhort the rich, starting in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. That means don't be arrogant, don't be proud. You got money, don't boast about it. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't put your hope in money, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Feel free to underline that if you want. If you have money, you can enjoy the money. You can enjoy some of the things that you buy with money. It's not against God's word for you to actually enjoy. You see it there? Richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, the difficulty you're going to have, uh, as many of you have money, is, okay, if you can enjoy things, God says you, he's not condemning you for enjoying the money and the things you can buy with money, but at the same time, he's given you money so that you can bless others, so that you can be generous and ready to share so that when you are sharing, you're storing up treasures in heaven. So it's very difficult, at least the struggle that you have, I may have, is okay, if I've got money, I want to enjoy some things, and yet God's word is calling me to share. So how much am I supposed to enjoy on myself? What percentages am I supposed to share? And that's some difficulties, and I'm not your conscience. I'm not your God. And yet we have God's word to, to guide us and direct us. And a passage I want you to turn to now as we try to think through these things is the book of Matthew. Can you go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6? Once again, I'll be putting these passages up for you as well. But Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, we have a famous passage that maybe some of you have memorized or you have taught to your kids. Matthew chapter 6. We start in verse 19. Verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves... Treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. I'm going to go ahead and stop there. Your treasures on this earth are going to be lost. Can we go ahead and follow Jesus' logic here? The destiny of all earthly treasures is that they will be lost. What the thieves don't get, the moth and the rust will take away. You know this, you showed up on this earth with nothing, and no matter what you accumulate during your lifetime, you will depart with nothing. And it's better to grasp this now so that you do not waste years with mindless accumulation or waste years thinking that you're missing out. Some of you may feel like, okay, if I can just get some more money, then I can join the fun. Because right now you feel like you're missing out. And what we're going to see here is the reality is that we all leave earth with nothing. 
I'm going to pause. I, I saw this on a daily basis through my 20s. I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask to see this. But God allowed me to see something during my 20s of the, the gradual loss of earthly treasures. And it's staggering. And I'm not telling this story to be funny. Uh, it's very, it's a, it's, a, it's a reality that you all will face in some way. I spent most of my 20s in a nursing home hanging out with my grandmother. And I noticed over the days, the months, and the years there, a gradual loss of possessions bit by bit on the person's way to eventually departing this earth with nothing. And it's amazing. I could see it happen. So this is what would happen. Uh, people would enter uh, a nursing home in the assisted living. Assisted living uh, area is a portion of the nursing home where once the person enters assisted living, they have given up driving on their cars, so they're not going to drive anymore. They have given up living in their houses, so their house is in the rearview mirror. They have given up sleeping in their own beds. But as they enter assisted living, they still have their stuff, like their clothes, they have their wedding ring, uh, many of the women have their wigs, and they bring a TV. And I've seen it over the years. As their health starts to deteriorate in the assisted living, they are moved to the skilled nursing area. And as they go to the skilled nursing area where they require a lot more care, um, the, the, the wig is gone. Um, and their wedding ring, it's very unfortunate, it tends to get lost or stolen. And the TV, once they go to a skilled nursing, the, their TV is ignored because they just don't have the capacity to follow it much anymore. And before long, this is what the thing that troubled me the most that I saw in the nursing home with my grandmother. The thing that troubled me the most is that eventually they're not even wearing their own clothes. As it seemed like my grandmother was dressed from the, the community pile of clothes. And as I have seen this, there are some people that face this time with so much joy and longing to be with Jesus. I was so encouraged by their hearts. They're like, I don't care. Let it all go. I'm just ready to be with Jesus. And then I found some face this time with despair, fear, and regret. Most of you are young. But I want you to know what's coming. And I'm not saying you're going to end up in a nursing home, but I want you to see of how pointless and fruitless it is to spin your wills and spend so much time trying to store up treasures on this earth that will ultimately be lost. Let's keep following Jesus' logic in verse 20. Let me put this up for you. Matthew 6.20 says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is talking about taking your valuables and uh, putting them in heaven where they cannot be destroyed or, or stolen. This is, this is kind of leveraging your finances for kingdom impact. 
And I want to kind of be specific this morning of what does it really mean to leverage your finances and your money for kingdom impact? What does it mean to store them up in heaven? And there's a lot of categories that this could look like, a lot of things we could talk about, but I'm going to stick with the Bible and, and choose three categories. They're going to seem plain. They're going to seem boring. They're going to seem familiar. But, but I think that one of the ways that you can leverage your money in these three categories has to do with uh, the church, the poor, and... Um, missionaries. Those are the three categories, the church, the poor, and missionaries. It seems like the Bible and the New Testament in particular hits those areas over and over and over again. So the question we're asking is, how can you leverage your money for an eternal kingdom impact? According to the Bible, one of the ways that you do that, number one, is that you can give regularly to your local church. Now I'm going to do a little excursus here and do a little study, and I hope you don't check out, hope this doesn't get boring, but have you ever heard of the concept of the tithe. In the Old Testament, the Israelites um, were to tithe, and there's one book where they're actually confronted with robbing God by withholding their tithes. In the book of Malachi, Matthew 3 8, it says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Now, have you ever wondered what, what actually is an Old Testament tithe? Well, these tithes were mandatory offerings that was given for the Levites who facilitated the temple services. They were made up of the priests and the ministrators and the singers, etc. Now, they said, you're robbing God of your tithes and contributions. And when it says contributions, that, that was probably more likely the mandatory animal portions that were be given to the provision of the Levites. Now, I don't want to pull a trick question on you, so don't answer out loud. What is the percentage of the Old Testament tithe? Don't answer. Generally, historically, through tradition, we have understood that the Old Testament tithe is to be 10%. Now, I don't want to get into arguments here, and I don't want to get into a long discussion here, but if you study the Old Testament, you will see there's probably not just one tithe, but maybe two, and perhaps even three. And when you look at Old Testament tithing for an Israelite, they were probably giving 23% of their income, 23%. So whether it's 10% or whether some believe it's 23%, they were to give this Old Testament tithe to the temple in order to facilitate worship so that the nation could flourish in, in worshiping God. And if they gave any less to the temple, it would hamper the nation in worship. All right? Good Old Testament background. Now here's the question. Should Christians still tithe today? Should Christians still tithe? Now, here, here's a helpful way uh, I've heard it explained. Now, I understand this is an open-handed issue. I'm not going to come down hard so we can disagree on this. But here's a helpful way I've heard it explained. The Old Testament sacrifices at the temple, they point it forward to Christ and his once-for-all sacrifice on the cross. And since Christ has been the final sacrifice, then the animal sacrifices are no longer necessary. And since tithing was to facilitate a sacrificial system ultimately fulfilled in the sacrifice of Christ, then tithing is no longer required. So when you show up in the New Testament and you read the Gospels and you read through the rest of the New Testament, you will not find commands in the New Testament to tithe. And you say, well, why not? And you say, well, because it was fulfilled in 
Jesus Christ. Now, to be fair, for those who believe that tithing should still exist today, there are no commands in the New Testament that outlaw tithing, right? There are no commands in the New Testament that say you shall no longer tithe. Now, the only thing I would say to you is if you believe that tithing still carries over until the New Testament, I want you to wrestle with the concept of 23%. If it does carry over, what percentage carries over? 10? 23%? And I even push even further and say, when you read the New Testament, you'll often find people, especially the Apostle Paul, not talking about tithing, but you'll see them talking about giving. Giving. Giving in a way that is sacrificial. And yet the idea and the principles behind the tithe could still be carried over. And what I'm really trying to argue is that you'll see that the New Testament does not lower the bar on giving. It actually raises the bar because of the gospel. Consider some of these passages. 1 Corinthians 16. 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also you are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And this is a collection for the poor. So Paul advises that their giving should be on a regular basis. Do you see that? On the first day of the week. And it should be proportional as he may prosper. So if you've prospered a lot, give a lot. If you only prospered a little, then that little bit you give is still acceptable to God. So giving is to be on a regular basis, proportional, but also voluntary with your eyes on Jesus. Consider 2 Corinthians 8, 8, 9. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So your motivation is giving should not be because I'm making you feel guilty. It's because you voluntarily springs from Christ's love for you. And so this generosity flows out of you through the gospel. One of my professors, Walt Kaiser, he kind of put it like this. I thought it was a good, a good way to look at it. He says, if a tenth was the minimal amount under the law, how can Christians do any less? Perhaps we should consider not how little, but how much we can give, seeing how richly blessed we are in Christ. So if the Old Testament amount was 10%, or some argue 23%, and we come as people who've been blessed in the gospel, you would think that our percentages would be much higher. But the national giving rate to churches is probably hovering around 2%. 2%. People give 2%. That's, that's pretty... Low, like, have you really been impacted by the gospel? I'm not judging you, but think about that. If the Old Testament before Christ comes, they're given 10%, 23%, and we come at those who be impacted by the gospel, and we're giving 2%? What's, what's going on with that? Have we really been impacted by that? Is this really valuable to us? We see the giving in the Old Testament, and they're coming over to the New Testament. Now it's to be voluntary, on a regular basis, in proportion to your income springing from with joy because of the gospel of Jesus. Now, I'm separating giving to your church, giving to the poor, and giving to missionaries. But in the, in the New Testament, all that's kind of blended together, probably in one big pot. I'm just separating for us because often our giving to the poor doesn't necessarily come through our church 
or giving through missionaries doesn't always go through our church. But as we think about it, we want to give to our local church on a regular basis, but we also want to consider giving to the poor. Now, the people in James, they were oppressing the poor, but we want to care for the poor and the vulnerable, and we want to give to them. And what I want to encourage you to do is, as you're younger, is to start thinking of ways to give to the poor and the vulnerable that carry with you throughout your life. When I was younger, an easy uh, bar was to give to those uh, children that could be sponsored through World Vision or Compassion, and that gets a good entry level where you can start to see what's going on in the life of children and the poor, and you can see other ways that you can bless those who are suffering and in need. Some of you have the ability to provide businesses and jobs to the poor. Others have the ability to give out microloans, or you can give to entrepreneurs who are, are serving for social change and common good. But I want to say something right now that kind of just goes at your heart. We could talk about all the ways you can give, but I want to kind of go back to the James 5 idea and just talk about, okay, what's going on in your heart on why you might give or not give? We always talk about in church this concept of sacrificial giving. We just need to sacrificially give to bless the poor. But have you ever heard the the concept of sacrificial non-spending sacrificial non-spending on yourself so that you can sacrificially give to others? Because sometimes I wonder that we, 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 we give to the poor so we don't feel guilty on what we spend on ourselves. I was in Haiti a few years ago and I was interacting with the orphanage director in Haiti and he talked about people volunteering at the orphanage or giving money to the orphanage and he was angry. I'm like, dude, why are you so angry? He said, you know what, people come here and they volunteer or they give us this or this and they're just doing that so they don't feel guilty when they go back to America and spend the rest of their money on themselves. Now, he doesn't know people's heart. There's no way he can know that. But maybe pull back and ask, do we give money, especially during Christmas time, to the poor because we really have a heart and we care for them or are we giving a little bit there so that we cannot feel guilty when we just spend most of it on ourselves. That really is a heart issue. And I could talk to you all day about sacrificial giving, but how about sacrificial non-spending? Like, we're going to cut back on meals. We're going to cut back on gifts. We're going to cut back on a lot of things we naturally spend in ourselves because other people are in need. And we need our hearts to spring toward them and not just use other people so we don't feel guilty on what we're going to splurge on ourselves. That's a hard issue. That's a tough one to work through. But be thinking about that. Let your sacrificial non-spending lead to legit sacrificial giving to care for the vulnerable. So you're going to be giving to your local church, you're going to be giving to the poor through a variety of avenues, but you also want to be giving to see the expansion of the gospel, what we, what we typically know as expanding the gospel through missionaries. Now, we've, we've had missionaries at our church throughout the year, but I'm going to go ahead and state the problem. Here's the problem, all right? We've had missionaries co- come out from among us. We all get excited. We send them out. They're out in the field spreading the gospel. They come back to our church. Our church turns over so much, they don't know who they are. And so they're not into it as much. So don't be surprised for those of you who are new 
If one of our missionaries calls you and wants to meet with you for coffee to see if you can support them, don't be offended by that because I probably gave them your number. Because I don't know how we're supposed to continue on with our missionaries as they age on the field when our church does not age, right? They're aging on the field and the new people don't know them. So we want to continue to support our missionaries as they age on the field. Our church has a 10% giving of our budget to our missionaries, but we also want the missionaries to interact with people in our church so they can be supported by them as well. Now, you may be sitting there and you may say, you know, my heart is just really not into giving to the church. Now, I care for the poor, but I'd rather spend on myself, so I'm not really into the poor. And missionaries, certainly not going to give to missionaries. And so you're, you're kind of, you're just not into it. You say, Pastor, what should I do when my heart is just not into it? What if I really don't value these things and you're telling me to give to them, but I really don't care? Listen to what Jesus says once again in Matthew six twenty one. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart will follow your money. <laughs> I know we always say, you know, money follows the heart, which is true. But your, your heart will, will actually sometimes follow your um, money. So let's say you don't have a heart. You say, I don't have a heart for the church. Put your money in the church and see what your heart does. I don't have a heart for the poor. Put your money with the poor and see what your heart does. I don't have money for missionaries. Put your heart, uh, money in the missionaries and see what your heart does. It's like, it's like if you put your money in Apple stock, you know, I'm gonna go buy some Apple stock. You're gonna check it. How's the stock doing? You're gonna keep up with the latest news and the gadgets that are coming out and you're gonna hope that your Apple stock flourishes and you're interested because that's where your money is. The same will hold where you put your money. You put your money in missionaries. You're like, what's that missionary doing? I want to pray for them. Put your money in the church. What's the church doing? I want to pray for them. Put your money in caring for the poor. What's going on? I want to care for them. If you don't find that your heart cares for these things, put your money there and see what your heart does. We don't want to come to the end of our lives regretting the way we spent our money. We want to be leveraging your money for an eternal kingdom impact now. We want to leverage our money for an eternal kingdom impact now, no matter what's going on, no matter what age we're at. We don't want to be those who are oppressing the poor by withholding by holding back our funds and spending in ourselves. And then we don't also want to use the poor so that we can not feel so guilty when we spend most of it on ourselves. But we want to, we want to do this sacrificial non-spending so we can lead to sacrificial giving. It's because what Christ has done for us. If there was no heaven, if there was no, was no eternity, then the way that we're spending our money here would not make sense. Giving money to the church would not make sense. Giving money to missionaries would not make sense because Christ died, he rose, he's coming back one day. We have an eternal kingdom and forever with him. It makes sense for leveraging your money for an eternal impact now. Part of our ethos here at EBF is we call ourselves invested sojourners, which means we're just passing through for a season and I want to invest. And as Christians, we're passing through this earth for a season and we want to invest while we're here. And part of that investment 
includes financially, where you can leverage your money for an eternal kingdom impact now. And part of that is developing patterns of giving sacrificially to your local church. I mean, most of you are not going to spend, you know, forever at this church, but we would love for you to see to get, your, get yourself into patterns of giving now so that when you go on to your next local church and your next local church, the patterns that you started when you were at EBF will continue with you throughout your life to develop healthy patterns of giving to a local church. An opportunity uh, comes upon us now as with all the time in our church as we head toward the end of the year. We want to end our, our church on a note of fiscal health, which calls for a challenge and an opportunity. For those of you who have been giving consistently to the local church here at BDF, just keep going. May this message encourage you just to keep going, be encouraged what you're doing. For those of you who have been attending EBF for a while and haven't made a, a giving a priority, now's the time to get back on track and storing up treasures in heaven. And for those of you who are new to EBF and you're kind of just wondering what's all about, you've been here for a while, we want you to know that we, just as we want you to invest in serving right away, we want you to invest in giving right away. We don't have a huge endowment. We don't have an endowment at all. This is how we are carried along is when those who go here give here. So as we think about our lives and the money that God has given us, let's all make it a priority to leverage our resources for an eternal kingdom impact. Let's pray. Father, we we don't want to be those who are the oppressors of the poor. We, we are wealthy. We are wealthy in Christ, but we are wealthy by financially that you've blessed us with. May we not make it all about ourselves. May we not make it all about spending so we don't feel guilty. May we not oppress others for those of us who have the ability to and have authority to bless others. May we bless them. So, Lord, just go right at our hearts. The discussions that husbands and wives have been having about giving, I just ask that they would think in their minds, okay, how can we live in such a way for the kingdom, living beyond our days here on this earth? And, Lord, go at my heart. Go at all of our hearts. This is ultimately your money. May we be wise. May we bless others. And when it's all said and done, may we leave this earth, leave this time with no regrets. Leave it all here. Be all in for your kingdom, with your money, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.